What's up, guys, and welcome back to the Staying Driven Podcast. I'm your host, Steph Roach, and this is a podcast with you in mind. Today, I sit down and talk to Kristen Hayes. We talk all about accessible travel and what it's like traveling with osteogenesis imperfecta. Kristen and her husband travel all over the world, and they also share their experience through social media. We talk about how powerful social media is and how our friendship actually started through different social media channels. We've now been friends for over a decade, and this conversation was so much fun to have. So let's get into it. I hope you guys enjoy. Hi, Steph. I'm so happy. I'm I'm honored that you have asked me to be on this podcast. I feel like we have been friends for so many years, and the funny thing is we've never actually met in person, which I I feel like it blows my mind that it's taken this long for you and I to be like, let's FaceTime or let's do. (laughs) I know, I know. I was just thinking it it feels like we have met before. I know. Like we see so much and we've messaged so much, but you're right. We haven't even really done like a video chat like this. I know. Well, it's so nice to finally meet you, uh, quote unquote. I'm so excited. I'm excited to have you on the podcast. And the reason I wanted to have you on the podcast is not only did I want to have an excuse to chat with you, but you have such an incredible life story that I really thought our listeners would enjoy learning from you. And it would be a really cool opportunity to see yet another perspective of such an incredible story of somebody that just decides to go live her life um, regardless of the situation and just go have a good time. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you and uh, we'll go from there. Sure. So where to begin? I'm, I'm always wondering, how do I, how do I start off talking about myself? <laughs> um, so I live in Toronto, Canada. I am in my 30s. Um, I was born with a condition called osteogenesis imperfecta, um, which basically means that my bones break easily. That's sort of the hallmark feature of my condition. Um, I was diagnosed at birth with it. Um, there are other things that come along with that as well. So basically, it's that the collagen that makes up the bones um, is faulty. And collagen is also present in um, tissues in the body. So really, it's a little bit more than the bones. But that's kind of the main feature is that my bones are fragile. So I have broken... Oh, man, I've lost track, probably somewhere around 75 bones in my life. Sometimes you're not even sure, like if it's a broken bone, because you don't end up going to the hospital for every broken bone, you kind of just know what to do or how to handle it. Um, So somewhere around that mark, I guess, mostly though, when I was a kid. And that's um, pretty typical of my disability as well. A lot of fractures happen sort of before puberty um, and then kind of taper off into our teens and 20s. And uh, now I'm at the age, though, where I'm wondering if it's going to start back up again as I've kind of probably passed my my peak strength in life. But we'll see. I also have moderate hearing loss, which is common as well um, with my condition and scoliosis. So my back is curved. So 
I do use uh, a manual wheelchair to get around. My arms are uh, much stronger for some reason. They haven't seemed to be affected as much as my legs. A lot of my fractures have been in my legs. So it makes sense for me to use a manual wheelchair to get around. So that's how I move about the world. I'm very small. I'm under four feet tall. And uh, yeah, I live with my husband and our cat, our big cat, who's about 17 pounds. And, <laughs> I remember when you got that cat. Yeah, he is seven years old now. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So had him. He's our baby. And uh, I work as a speech pathologist um, during the day. And when I'm not working, I love to travel. That's awesome. I want to backtrack just a little bit, just so that people can understand kind of how we connected in the first place. It might seem a, a little stalkerish on my part. But um, you and your husband, Mark, have been married for how long now? It will be 10 years coming up on our next anniversary. Yeah. So I remember when you guys had first gotten engaged. Yeah. And I don't know what connected us or why. Um, I think you had done some sort of um, maybe like a news article or some news outlet must have picked up your story. And I thought it was so cool because you're this gorgeous woman and you were just going after life. And here you were using a wheelchair, but also dating somebody and now engaged to somebody that is completely able-bodied and he also loves hockey. So I was like, I was like, that's really cool. Like this girl, like totally just made me see that like, it is possible to not only like be gorgeous and like living your life, but also have an able-bodied man who doesn't necessarily really mind that you do use accessibility devices. And I remember just thinking like, I finally saw myself mm -hmm. in somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that's where we talk about like representation really matters, right? Yeah. And it's not necessarily, oh, you have CP, or you have IO and, and, and I don't know, or OI, sorry, and I don't know um, how you feel every day, but just the visualization of, you know, using uh, an accessibility device, but also being seen as a gorgeous woman. Like that was a really big connection piece for me. And I remember we just connected on social media and it's kind of been like following each other <laughs> ever since. So. Well, thank you. Thank you for those compliments, for one. That was very sweet of you to be saying. But it's it's so true, like what you said about the representation piece. Like, I don't think um, non-disabled people understand that. Like, we don't see ourselves in love stories on, you know, popular media, in movies. I remember, I think it was this past Christmas or the Christmas before, um, there, one of those typical Hallmark movies came out and it was the first time that yeah, it featured a woman in a wheelchair and like the disabled community was like in love with this. Yeah. And like, it's, it's just, it's amazing how just one representation like that we notice because otherwise it's not there. And I think too, like you don't want to take anything away from Allie. Her name's Allie Stroker. She's an amazing actress, but it shouldn't just be on her, yeah. right? The, the burden shouldn't lie on just one person. And like, 
you know, we're so grateful to have that representation. But like, again, you were randomly affecting some random girl in Florida where I was like, <laughs> I think I can do that too. And mind yeah. you, I was probably 22, 23 when that first happened. Mm -hmm. So like, I'm in the age where I wasn't sure if I was ever going to find love because you hear from people all the time. And I don't know if you've heard this probably have most of your life. You're so beautiful. It's such a shame you use a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. like, oh my goodness. You and know? People, people somehow think that that's actually a compliment, right? And they don't <laughs> understand like the underlying messages that that's giving. Yeah. So yeah. let's kind of fast forward now. So you're in a beautiful relationship, you have an amazing job. In your job, do people make any like um, assumptions about you? Like, do you work with um, kids that understand, you know, your situation? Is it hard to navigate that situation? Yeah, it's actually been a little bit um, easier, I think, than I even um, expected when I first started working. Um, so I work uh, with adults, with um, mostly, I guess, the geriatric population, usually older adults, um, adults who are recovering uh, from stroke or other neurological um, events. Um, it's in an inpatient rehab setting. Um, so that's that's a good part. And that is something that I thought about when I started working was that I, I would need to be in an environment that was accessible to me as a wheelchair user. So I did gravitate towards, you know, maybe hospital jobs, rehab settings, maybe even schools, because those are places that would typically be considered more accessible. Um, so yeah, I did, I did end up then in the rehab setting with um, clients and patients who are also, you know, like yeah. using mobility devices. So it has to have some level of accessibility. So that's worked out well for me. And yeah, I, I did wonder, you know, if I would get kind of more looks like, huh, you're, you're my speech pathologist. Yeah. Like, um, and I, I do get people at first sort of thinking I'm a patient, um, patients and, and family members like when I kind of first enter the room you yeah. can kind of see like for that brief moment there's the look on their face kind of like oh who are you are you another patient yeah, I wandered, just wandered into my room but I, I have been a little surprised though that truly kind of the second that I say who I am and I introduce myself or I show my badge really kind of that initial I guess it's more like a curiosity that I notice on their face that just completely goes away. And I really don't think I've ever had an interaction where I felt like somebody was really sort of judging um, or kind of denying my credibility or not feeling comfortable. If anything, I feel like it's almost been an advantage to me. I feel like a lot of patients feel maybe sort of this extra um, sense of comfort with yeah. me because in some ways... Yeah, I can possibly identify because they themselves now are experiencing disability. Um, and I do get a lot of patients like tell me that, you know, it was so great to meet you and seeing somebody yeah. else who's a wheelchair user and obviously have experience and challenges. Like it kind of shows me like I can do this. And now that I have some challenges, like it's going to be OK. And, you know, I can still live a good life. So, yeah, if anything, I actually think it has worked to my advantage to sort of help me build rapport with patients. That's awesome. And I think professionally too, like 
again, once you show people who you are and the fact that like, yeah, you went to school for this and, and yeah. here's your credentials. Like, I think the, the, a really cool feeling is when people actually take it seriously, yeah. right? And I think in a way I can relate to the sense of like, I'm a fitness instructor, right? Mm -hmm. and I don't just, I don't just work with adaptive athletes. When I would work with able-bodied athletes, people would do that like double take and be yeah. like, oh wait, you're my coach. Right. But yes. then once, once they kind of like get in the groove and they're like, oh, you actually know what you're talking about, <laughs> you know, yeah. they, they take it seriously. Yeah. How, how was that initially with Mark when it came to, like, I know when I met Ty, I was very open and honest about, Hey, this is who I am. I think we, um, as couples, we met kind of the same way, right? You met online. Yeah. Yeah. How, how has it been navigating through like first, time dating and then all of a sudden you're getting to know each other and then you're getting to meet like his family your family like how did that all go down yeah so actually I'm curious um with you and Ty like how you initially set up your profile so this was back in 2006 when Mark and I um first started talking and first met when online dating was still sort of like taboo and mm. is different than it is now or even like five years ago um so when we first started talking on uh, this dating website I I didn't have in my profile anything that would really identify me um as disabled and you know, I think a lot about my decision to do that. And on some ways, I kind of hate that I didn't put anything in my profile because I am very proudly disabled. And, you know, that's yeah. never something that I, I want to hide from my identity. But I think I was also, unfortunately, like acutely aware of the judgment that's immediately passed when somebody, you know, reads disabled. Yeah. And I think I, I did think that probably a lot of people <laughs> would pass me by just because they, they saw that. So there wasn't anything that identified right away that I had a disability. Um, so Mark and I had been talking for a couple of weeks. Plus, you know, when you're doing online dating, so many people you, you talk to for a day and then you don't talk to them again. So yeah. like, what do they need to know? Like details about you, right? Um, but after we had been talking for a while and we realized like we, we, we like each other and we probably want to meet up at some point. Um, that's when I did you know, think I want to tell him before we meet up um, that I use a wheelchair. And so it's kind of a funny story because he, he actually said to me first, like when we were planning to meet, he said, he said to me, I need to tell you something. And I said, well, I need to tell you something too. And so he went first and he said, I have a little bit of a lisp. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And like, for one thing, I actually have a list too, if, if you can tell a little bit. Um, and I said, and <laughs> what I had to tell you is that, yeah, I use a wheelchair and, you know, I have this disability and, and I'm very small, et cetera. And uh, I sent him like some pictures that showed more clearly me using my wheelchair. And he, so he told me afterwards that he actually never fully believed that I was disabled until he met me he thought <laughs> yeah he like I don't know where he thinks I got this wheelchair from I don't know but he thought I was I was testing him um to see if he was shallow oh my and, God. <laughs> yeah and, and I remember him asking me questions like 
oh, well, you said that you go to university. And I said, well, I do. And, you know, you said that you drove a car. I do. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you said that you do this and you do that. And I said, I have not lied to you. Like everything I've told you, it's true. And it's funny because obviously Mark's a great guy and he's very open-minded, but it shows that even somebody like him, yeah, like- they're not, uh, yeah. they're not exposed to it. Yeah, like disabled and, you know, being successful and doing all this stuff did not go together in his head. So he was questioning, well, how could you do all these things but also be disabled? And then um, anyway, maybe because he didn't believe me, he decided, okay, well, I'm going to meet this girl. And then it was when we actually met that, you know, in his head, he was like, oh, geez, she really is disabled. <laughs> and like our first date was was good like I didn't feel that either of us were awkward or uncomfortable but he tells me that when he went home that evening he lived with a roommate one of his best friends and obviously the friend was asking him how did it go and he says to him like oh my god like she's actually in a wheelchair (laughs) kind of have to give credit to his friend because he was like well did you have a good time and Mark was like yeah but she's in a wheelchair and the friend was like well like did you get along and Mark's like yeah but she's in a wheelchair and and he just kind of kept asking him but like but you enjoyed yourself and then Mark kept saying well yeah and then so his friend was like well then like go out again are you are they still friends what's that are they still friends yeah so actually he was uh, the best man at our wedding oh that's awesome and he, uh, he had also recently met, like, his now wife on uh, the same dating website. So, yeah. So, anyway, I guess, like, credit to him for kind of, like, pushing Mark to be, like, it's okay that she was disabled. You still enjoyed yourself. And then, so, yeah, we went on a second date. And the second date, um, I kind of had, like, maybe a bit of the upper hand because he agreed to come out with me and a bunch of my friends. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so he got to sort of see me and like my, you know, very comfortable environment with people that I'm familiar with. And and really after that, the rest is history. He kind of realized like, okay, like, you know, this isn't, this doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't yeah. have to be awkward, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's so funny. You know, I, like you were saying, I, I think our, uh, with Ty and I, it was a little different um, in the sense that I had never really um disclosed my disability my cv with anyone before Mm -hmm. online and then at the time that i had met ty i had no choice and it sounds kind of weird but i had been on cnn before and i had been like on the news so Mm -hmm. like if he decided that he wanted to google me like what was i gonna do lie (laughs) right Mm -hmm. so uh, i remember like swiping through and uh, we met on tinder and when I'm when I met him originally or when I chatted with him, I said, hey, I just want to let you know, like, I'm just wondering, I have cerebral palsy, like, would this bother you? And he said, I'm pigeon toed. Would that bother you? <laughs> so there you go. Kind of similar. Yeah. So I, I think I think, too, he was a fireman at the time when we met. So I think his sense of like having to help people and, and you know, kind of just this openness about him was a little bit different than guys I had met in the past. Like I'd been dating, you know, I'd been dating before him and like guys, all they wanted to know was like weird things for girls that use wheelchairs and then you would hear silly things. So I think it was a little different, but at the end of the day, 
I feel like as you guys have gotten to know each other, obviously you're married now, like you get into the swing of things and you kind of have your day to day. And I'm sure if people ask Mark now versus asked him 10 years ago, like to, you know, describe what you can do throughout the day or, or like what you do in your daily life. It's like nothing really different. Yeah, um, exactly. I think it's that's what drew me to you was like your sense of adventure man you you go and you live your life and one of the things that I think social media has now done where social media can be kind of a an interesting place you've mm -hmm. created this positive space for people to understand like adaptive adventure mm -hmm. like living your life so why don't you talk about that evolution and how you've decided to really share your sense of adventure with the world? Yeah, I think exactly what you said, you know, social media can sometimes come with its problems, of course, too. But I do think like overall, it's probably been a good thing um, for the disabled community because we sort of have this platform to share our firsthand experiences. And I think the problem for so long is that our stories have always been told by able-bodied people, right? Yeah. Um, you know, even doing something like a news story, I've, I've even been learning over the years, you know, you sign up to do an interview or something like that, and it's being edited, and it's being edited through an able-bodied lens, yeah. and any kind of um, representation that you might have of disability, say, in Hollywood, again, that's being edited and directed by able-bodied people, so social media has been an opportunity for like disabled creators to firsthand put out exactly what they want to share without anybody else editing it, without so having to filter through this lens. Yeah, so I think- I never thought about it that way. Like, I've, yeah. I've, that's the first time I've ever heard that. And I think that that's so true of like, you normally hear like, oh, Kristen must suffer with her yeah. condition or, you know, Steph suffers with cerebral, I don't suffer with anything, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. you know? And we're so used to hearing it that, I mean, yeah, I'm sure you've had stories written like that about you. I know I've had stories written like that about me. And I think in my somewhat younger days, like when words like that were written, you just kind of accept it. Like that's, that's what people say, but now I'm becoming a little bit more picky. Like if something is being written by me, like I really want to see what words are you using to describe yeah. me? Because I don't want to, you know, put my name to something that that kind of is setting back, you know, disability rights and kind of promoting ableist language um, and things like that. So anyway, yeah, getting back to social media, I think it's it's helpful that we kind of have this opportunity and platform to share our own stories. Um, and I, I've always loved sort of taking photos. So that like led me into things like Instagram and Facebook because I love sharing um, pictures. I love trying to be a little bit artistic with some of my photography and I do love to travel. So it all kind of fit together that I just had this like natural love for kind of taking pictures on my adventures. And um, as I traveled more, I think the things that I shared were more than just, you know, pretty landscape photos, but I realized I have this opportunity here to share more about the accessibility of my travels. And I realized that's what people really seem to like hearing. 
And the more that I traveled and the more of my own research that I had to do, I started to think, if I can share this and save somebody else from having to do all of this research on their own, like why not put this out there for somebody else to be able to use and benefit from? I find it interesting too, like big big companies like Airbnb, you know, the VRBO is like, it's so interesting to me that it's still such like a small part of mm-hmm. travel for a lot of people is that they don't focus on accessibility. They don't necessarily focus on, you know, ADA compliant things. And I really wish the market would really open up more because so many of us do want to travel. You know, when Ty and I look at a hotel, we have to look into a roll-in shower. I can't just get into a bathtub. Like that's just not how that works for us, right? And you have all these different kinds of features that, and I am sure you have this fear too, of traveling with your wheelchair. Your wheelchair is your legs. And like the amount of fear that I have every time that I'm sitting at that jetway waiting (laughs) to get on an airplane, you know, but I, I think it's also an important conversation is you do share the beautiful moments and you do share the great things about travel, but you also share your struggles right? Um, What is one of the most real situations that you, you and Mark, or just you have been put in, you know, when it comes to traveling and realizing some of those struggles? Yeah, probably uh, like one event that stands out that was really tough is actually just what you were talking about, um, comes to to airline. And uh, I think, yeah, kind of for, for all the places we've been, it's not so much, you know, difficult, being in specific cities or locations, I do think that, like you said, the biggest um, part of my stress comes with with the airlines. Um, So we were traveling to Hawaii a couple years back, and we had a couple connections that we had to make because we're trying to be economical. And um, the my my wheelchair did not make one of the connections. And it essentially got lost for about 36 hours and uh so it was between I think it was between uh, Chicago and Phoenix where my wheelchair did not make it on the plane and just the way it was handled so you know the one issue was that I didn't have my chair and I mean that's that is a problem I cannot move independently without my chair and so that's one issue but then the other issue was just like the response that we were getting and just a complete lack of of any sort of comprehension or understanding of of how significant that was to me and you just got the sense that really like nobody cared nobody understood how devastating this was to me nobody seemed like they were really in a rush to find my wheelchair or get it back to me and just feeling completely helpless now being halfway across the world and just I mean I remember I spent that entire first night we had already traveled all day it was nighttime in Hawaii when we got there and I stayed awake for, you know, an entire 24 hours just trying to make phone calls and get somebody to give me some answers on where my wheelchair was and hearing people say, you know, refer to it as luggage or, you know, tell me kind of, well, what's the big deal? Like, we'll get you a loaner chair, you know, that's like oh 20 times God. too big for me that I can't move. Like, that just sort of like added salt to the wound and it was, and maybe it sounds like um, I'm overreacting, but it was traumatizing, really. No way. I, I do not think that as overreacting. Um, it's 
it's something that's just super frustrating. You know, I remember I was traveling to back from Canada, actually. I had just picked up my first manual wheelchair and I had also picked up a Botech or a baby, mm -hmm. however you say it. And I used it one time mm -hmm. and the airlines broke it. Oh. And I was so just because like now you're lugging this whole other piece of equipment and people are yeah. just like, oh, what's the big deal? Yeah. So I, I'm sorry that yeah. happened, but that breaks my heart whenever I hear that. Go on these trips and make it somewhat of a part of their life, what would you say? I would say it is possible, definitely traveling with a disability, traveling with a mobility device, it is possible. It does probably require some extra planning. I think that's really the key is just to, to put in a little bit of extra time ahead of the travel to have a bit of a better idea of kind of what to expect so that you can sort of problem solve ahead of time, like what potential problems might come up. You can try to advocate for yourself ahead of time. So hopefully you can avoid finding yourself in kind of a tricky situation, um, you know, making phone calls ahead of time and being like very specific, I think, about what accessibility means to you. So for example, like one thing that I find kind of tricky is, is when you see something that's labeled as either accessible or not accessible, like that can mean, you know, very different things. And yeah. <laughs> as you probably understand too, like accessibility is not the same for every disabled person. Like even between you and me, like what you might find accessible, yeah. I might and vice versa. So I think that we should keep that in mind. Like when we're looking, for example, at hotels, they're different attractions or tours, and they they label themselves either as accessible or not accessible. Not to like always take that at face value, but maybe inquire a little bit more because I've definitely done tours and stayed in places that were not labeled as accessible, but for me, it still worked. Um, and then I've also done things that were labeled as accessible, but you know, haven't been the greatest for me. So, for example, going to, going to Europe, right? And um, <laughs> yeah, I've been there. <laughs> might be listed as accessible, and maybe it worked for me. But I'm thinking, you know, yes, this place had an elevator, but it was extremely tight. Oh, and maybe yeah. somebody who's using a bigger wheelchair, like they would want to be very specific when they call ahead and sort of say, "This is kind of the chair I'm using." Like, yes, you have an elevator, but you know, will I fit? Um, so being specific about your needs, but usually with a bit of extra planning, um, yeah, reach out, kind of read, read people's individual blogs. Sometimes I find like blogs and people's individual social media accounts to be a lot more helpful than some of these bigger travel websites. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you kind of kind of plan things ahead of time, then it's definitely possible. I also find people are usually very helpful. Um, when I've been to other countries, you know, people uh, living in those countries, other tourists are usually quite quick to step in and help. And, you know, we don't we don't always want to be having to depend on other people to help us in order for accessibility. Sometimes it can be a little scary relying on, you know, people to pick you up and whatnot. But it is nice to know that usually, like, if you are really stuck, that there are people that that will do their best to help you in those moments. So. I, I traveled in 2010. I went to New Zealand. Yeah. You would think, right? Like we um, we stayed in all these hostels and things like that. 
And when you first landed in New Zealand, there were these pamphlets that said like accessible New Zealand. And like, it would show you like all of the accessible places to go and the way, you know, things were most accessible for wheelchairs or not. And I found it like such a simple little thing made such a big difference with traveling. And I find it interesting too, when, you know, I live in the US and you live in Canada, if your perception of accessibility of the US, how do you, how do you feel about that when you travel? I think generally you guys are a little bit ahead of us, probably because you do have the ADA, which Canada doesn't quite have something that matches to that extent, um, which is like the federal law sort of, right, that that mandate accessibility. We don't quite have something that equals the ADA. So I think that helps put you guys a little bit ahead. Um, I mean, and I, I think it, it definitely varies here too, sort of from province to province. I think, you know, generally here in Toronto, which is a big metropolitan city, I think we're probably very comparable to most cities in the USA. But I think if you get into more like rural communities, because we don't really have quite the same like federal mandate um, is where you can see some of the accessibility lacking. Um, I think we have a ways to go, especially around transportation. Um, I find we're not quite there with our transportation yet. For example, in Toronto, it is getting better, but not too long ago, it was only about 50% of our subways, subway stations here were accessible, Um, you know, which I think for such a big city that a lot of people are depending so heavily on public transportation, that's not really acceptable. So um, it's coming along. Um, but yeah, I think generally our perception is that the United States, you can be a little bit more confident that when you're going to places, like the accessibility piece will be there. Things like, for example, um, going into a restaurant and having like a lowered bar. Like, um, I know I've ha- I have some friends who have commented on like, whoa, like you, you don't see that in Canada. Um, whereas you do see it not all the time, I don't think in the States, but like that is a thing in the States in some places that That's I had so interesting though because I when I went to Canada I was like uh so blown away with how accessible everything okay. was and there were like there were like buttons in the bathrooms that, like you wave your hand like the doors open and I was like whoa like I felt like we need to step it up a bit you know so well that's good to know yeah so I think it's kind of like uh it goes both ways and I think people assume because the ADA is so large and the term is now like synonymous with the law is that like people assume that in every country there's going to be some sort of ADA but you have to remember it's the Americans with Disabilities (laughs) Act right so like there I'm sure there are people and and you know advocates all the time working on something internationally but I think it just depends. I mean, I, I remember going to London and London was not accessible and neither was Israel. And, you know, yeah. it's like you have to remember when those countries and when when certain things were built, because yeah. like even 60 years ago, you know, you and I, yeah. we wouldn't have the best quality of life. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It's the, 
that's that's the reality of it. It's like if our parents would have found out that we had a disability even 50 years ago, they would have said, you know, you should probably put them in like an institution and just leave. Uh-huh. Right. And so I think uh-huh. we take that for granted now is the fact that like we are, you know, in our 30s and like living an amazing life. But it wasn't much long ago that like people would look at us and be like, yeah, you can just stick them in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's funny how a lot of non-disabled people do have that perception of like, oh, but like there's laws for that, right? Like, it's almost like they don't believe that when we say something is not accessible, they kind of assume, oh, no, no, but like everything has to be accessible, doesn't it? And you realize like the, the nuances of some of like the laws that are in place. Like I know here, um, kind of any kind of law that's kind of in place right now, it, it doesn't do much for buildings that are already built, yeah. right? For, for new construction projects, definitely accessibility is more at the forefront, but there's very little that, that makes places that are already existing have to go back and do much to change. So it's definitely not as simple or it doesn't exist to the degree that um, like able-bodied people think. I think too, like going back to it, you know, who wrote the law, right? Yeah. Able-bodied people write yeah. the law. But yeah. we always talk about, Ty and I always talk about, there is the the law, there's the ADA law, and then there's stuff accessible, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and, and what's, what's stuff accessible or what's Kristen accessible oh. is different for everyone. You know, oh. if I tried to drive your car, it would be different than you trying to drive my car. Kind of yeah. thing, like, and the way that we all interact with one another is, you know, we're all on the same kind of team, but everybody's mm-hmm. working for, you know, a little bit of a different area. Yeah, so, yeah. I think and then there's, yeah, there's the way that it actually gets like put into practice, right? Like, sure, you can have sort of the standards, the bare minimum that says, you know, it should be made like this, but then when it comes to the, the architects, the designers, the the construction workers, the builders who are actually then implementing it, then they maybe misinterpret it and they don't get it right. And you can just tell like there was no disabled eyes on this project. Yeah. Like sure, maybe they were trying to follow what you know the bare minimum standard said, but like they got it wrong. Or yeah. like maybe they did meet the standard, but when you when we come in and lay eyes on it, we're like, but they could have done it this way, which would have just been even so much better. Like I just wish disabled people could consult on like every major <laughs> new project design like I universal know. design like why this isn't more of a thing like it truly benefits everybody I know I feel like we walk into or roll into hotel rooms and we're just like this is not right <laughs> that's yeah, not yes yes but uh, I feel like I could talk to you for hours but unfortunately <laughs> we don't have hours so I'm gonna close with this but if you could give yourself your younger self any bit of advice or tell your younger self anything what would you tell her hmm oh good question I think to really like listen kind of to my internal voice and to speak up um when something just doesn't feel right or to 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 educate you know when I feel comfortable or when I feel like I have the 
the energy to educate and not to let some of that internalized ableism, you know, overtake me and to really just be confident in who I know that I am and to advocate for myself and to realize I'm not asking for anything extra special. You know, I'm really just asking society to kind of meet me halfway. Um, you know, we, we grow up learning how to adapt and I think we do a really good job at that and we will continue to do that and I'm proud of that but also realizing like we need society to step it up a little bit too and it's okay to ask for that. That's awesome. If people want to find you how do they do so? I know that you're big on social media so why don't you share where people can find you and how they can connect with you? Yeah, I think I'm most active on Instagram. That's where I do most of my posting. So you can find me at sweet.satellite on Instagram. And uh, yeah, you can follow me there. Um, there's an email button. You can contact me through Instagram. It connects to my email. So yeah, I'm happy to connect that way. Cool. Well, I'm so glad that we connected. Thank you so much for doing this podcast with me. It has been such a blast to finally get to actually have a full one-on-one -on -one conversation with you. And I have a feeling this is not going to be our last time. So thank you so much, Kristen. And I will talk to you later. Thank you. I'd love to chat with you again. Bye. Bye.